0: Good evening, this is BibleStudy.net, and I'm John Malone, and I'm a, I'm a little bit excited today, which it's hard for me to get excited, too excited these days, but I'm a little bit excited today because it's as if for the last three weeks I've been telling you what I told you so that I can tell you what I'm going to tell you as I've looked forward to getting into Matthew chapter 13 and taking up our... New theme, which is really a connected theme to the to the th- three previous themes we've taken up, the mysteries of the kingdom of the heavens. I was thinking about how wonderful it is to have the word of God, to know that this is not my home, that we have a resurrection coming if we've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to rule and to reign this earth, run it the way it ought to be run, and that at the time that He does that, I'm going to be in a new body without sin so that I'll be all in favor of him running it the way that it should be run." And uh, the other thing I was thinking is how the world has no answers, and yet the Bible still has the same answer, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's it's wonderful to have something we can depend upon and to have, have something that has solid and firm answers in a world that is desperate to find some. So if we would just turn to the Scriptures, uh, we have good answers. And when we do turn to the Scriptures, uh, today we have the wonderful privilege of turning to Matthew, the 13th chapter. Now I say the wonderful privilege of turning to Matthew, the 13th chapter, because I can tell you that the Bible opened up to me in many ways around this chapter. And to that I am indebted not only to the Lord, but also to men who taught me the Scripture. I'm indebted, for example, to the late Dr. Javer and McGee, whose, through the Bible broadcast, is still a wonderful blessing. And, as heard throughout the world, position of the Gospel of Matthew as the first book in the New Testament is no is no surprise, and it's no accident and every word of God is pure. the chapter divisions and the verse divisions of the Bible are not inspired; those are very useful indices invented by men. I'm glad somebody thought of it I, I may disagree with the way that the chapters are divided or the or the verses are divided, but I'm sure glad somebody early on indexed the Bible by chapter and verse for reference purposes and been a a wonderful form of study and allowed for a lot of other tools to be developed that can help and facilitate the study of the Scriptures. But the order of the books of the Bible are, I believe, inspired by God, and even though they're not without controversy, and it is no accident, no surprise, that the book of Matthew is the beginning, the first book, that being said, the key to the Gospel of Matthew is the 13th chapter of Matthew. And in there we find the Lord Jesus Christ beginning his parabolic teaching, and he lays out, some would say seven, others would say eight consecutive parables, which are intended for us to understand. And if we will understand them, then we will understand the kingdom of the heavens in its present form during this dispensation when we have the church, which is his body. And during a a time, by the way, not only that God is calling out of the world Jews and Gentiles to be neither Jews nor Gentiles, but citizens of heaven and members of the church, which is his body, which began at the time of the foundation after the Lord Jesus Christ with the apostles, prophets, and others, and has continued to this day. There's much to be said about that as to exactly when the church which is his body became the church which is his body but that we won't trouble ourselves with today because we have enough in front of us with our plate full so Matthew chapter 13 is if you if you can turn to your bible uh turn to it there we're going to take up the parable of the sower and the seed and I hope we can get through that parable but no big rush we'll we'll try to do justice to the uh to the passage and let it do its wonderful work in our minds and if it takes us time We'll take our time with it. Matthew 13, and this may come as a surprise to many of you, but Matthew 13 follows Matthew 12. And Matthew 12, we find the... Okay, I'm being a little facetious. Just a little. Matthew 12 finds the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ by the leaders of Israel in such a way as he rejects them. Understand, the Lord Jesus Christ came, he was despised and rejected of men... But in in the day that men reject Jesus Christ, that that's a small thing. Uh, men can uh, for men to reject the Lord Jesus Christ is just to prove what's already known, that men are evil and wicked and hate God and are enemies in their mind according to wicked works. But what really is a dangerous uh, problem is the rejection of them of men by the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 12, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is seen as hounded. By the Pharisees of his day, uh, the Pharisees of his day, as opposed to those of us who follow him being hounded uh, by the Pharisees of our day. The one thing they didn't they didn't like about the Lord Jesus Christ is who he was. If he just wasn't himself, that he, everything would have been fine. But the fact that he was the Son of God, and that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, that he's the Lord of all, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. That is actually what bothered them. There was no kind of misunderstanding. It was no. There was not some kind of communication problem. There was no small issue that they just couldn't seem to get along. And don't kid yourself. The reason that they that they hounded the Lord Jesus Christ and that they hated the Lord Jesus Christ is not because they did not understand who he was, but because they did understand who he was. And so the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 12 it begins with him going into the into the fields with his apostles, and his apostles on the Sabbath, and, and his disciples are hungry, and they begin to pluck ears of corn, uh, a different uh, whatever the grain was, maybe it was maize, maybe something else, in the field and eat it while he was walking with them. Now there's nothing wrong with that. There are brilliant men who are able to invent the calculus but who aren't able to read the Bible properly, who uh, such as Bertrand Russell, who say that the Lord Jesus Christ was less than a a good man because his apostles were stealing, stealing grain in this field as they walked through it. But that wicked man didn't realize that it's not stealing if you eat grain in a field, and in Israel... Certainly, if you were hungry, you could stop in your brother's field as long as you didn't carry things with you. You could eat to your heart's content in his field, and then the, the. But that's not; they're not accused of what Bertrand Russell accused the Lord and the disciples of things even the Pharisees didn't accuse him of. The Pharisees accused him of allowing his disciples to break the Sabbath because, as they were plucking grain, weren't they working? And the Lord Jesus Christ pointed out to them that when David came into the house of God and was hungry, and the showbread was on the table that was part of the sacrificial rites for only the priests, that David ate of that bread and was not, even though it was reserved for priests, and was not found guilty of anything uh, then, and also pointed out to him, them, the Pharisees, that more sacrifices are, are done on the Sabbath by the priests than at any other time, I mean, and certainly they're not uh, breaking the law doing those sacrifices. And then finally he points out to them that his disciples are with one who is greater than the temple because they're with the Son of Man who himself is Lord also of the Sabbath. Well, this now sent them away uh, with his claim of being the Lord of the Sabbath, the Son of Man, being greater than the Temple. This sent them away, dealing with who he was rather than what he was doing, and sent them away hating him even the more. left that area and went across, probably into Tiberias. Now I'm actually paraphrasing Matthew 12:9. if you're reading along. And he went into the synagogue in Tiberias, And they ask the Lord if it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath days. So they're still trying to find him. They're trying to catch him in an error. They're trying to turn him into an offender when he is no offender, when he who knew no sin is the one who is going to become sin in the context of Matthew 12, a sin offering for us. He never sinned. He never had the thought of sin. There was never a possibility that he would sin and and yet now they are trying to find an accusation against him. And this is really to understand the persecution of the Lord while he walked the earth, and therefore to understand uh, how to endure the fellowship of his sufferings. You need to understand that the Lord lived under a constant barrage of people trying to turn him into an offender or trying to find some offense against him constantly trying to contradict what he said, constantly trying to trip him up, was ever worried about it like I would be or that you would be. Not that there was any possibility they actually could trip him up. After all, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is the, this is the constant pressure that was placed upon him. This was the testing that he went through. Now, I had it put to me this way. A diamond does not need to be a piece of glass in order to be tested. You can put as much pressure on a diamond as you care to put. It is not going to break. But if it's a piece of glass, then that pressure will break it. They placed all the pressure on the Lord that would break any piece of glass, but he being a diamond never could break. It wasn't possible that pressure would break him. We, on the other hand... And so these are the fellowship, this is the fellowship of his suffering. And when you experience even a little bit of this, the richness of the Scripture comes forward to you even more as you add to your faith knowledge and then add to your knowledge experience. And so let me say that you might as well just experience the Christian life, believing friend. Go out there and have your experiences of the fellowship of his sufferings, add to your knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible will begin to jump off the pages, and you'll enjoy it. You might lose everything else. You might lose all your money, your friends, even your family. That can happen. I don't say it will, but it can. But let me assure you there's grace for whatever losses in this world that you might take temporarily, and the Lord will substitute that loss with the wonderful blessing of the Bible coming alive to you. Well, now, this pressure going on with the Lord, they ask him, is it lawful for, for, to heal on the Sabbath? And they, it says that they might accuse him. And he points out, well, which of you would have your sheep fall in a ditch or your tire go flat and not fix it on the Sabbath? And, of course, the answer is, well, we'd all do that, and so how much then is it better, he asks them, how much is a man better than a sheep or a car? Day. So he points out that it was always lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. It was always lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. And he healed a man's hand. That was really, by, by, by my recollection, that's the first miracle he, ever, he did on a Sabbath day, was he healed this man's hand. And then the Pharisees went out, it said, and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But the Lord Jesus Christ now withdrew himself, and the scriptures are fulfilled that that he's going to take his word to the Gentiles, and the reason that that scripture is placed that it's that 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 it's clear he's going to out to the Gentiles is because here we see in Matthew twelve clearly the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he he healed very many people that Sabbath day. And then he also cast out a demon from a blind and dumb man, so insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. And the people, not the, not the leaders now, not the Pharisees, but the people said, this must be the son of David. And when the Pharisees heard that, in their wrath and in their hatred, they say, this fellow casts out demons because he's of Satan. He uses Beelzea, he uses Satan to cast out demons. He's in connection with the prince of the devils. Now let me tell you something. When when the leaders of Israel, when they associated him with Satan, and actually didn't just fail to realize that he was the son of God, but actually ascribed the great workings of his power that they could see personally, when they ascribed that to the workings of Satan and actually under the influence of Satan, who's their father, the devil, actually being of Satan, now now state that the Lord Jesus Christ is an agent of Satan. That was their blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. That was it. And in the day that they rejected him, he rejected them. Now he speaks many words of judgment to them, still set aside by God. The Israel which is today is not the Israel of God it is Israel in unbelief. That doesn't mean that we hate the Israel that's in unbelief. After all, America's in unbelief. Uh, All the Gentile nations have always been in unbelief. But Israel was not always in unbelief. As a nation, Israel was once in belief, was was then once in uh, rebellion and was chastised for it, came back into belief during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. God would have restored them. But they would not, and they had their chance to accept the Son of God. They did not. This is bad news for them. This is good news for those of us who are of the Gentiles. After all, had Israel received the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God would have never gone out to the Gentile nation so that some of us could be saved and, and, and become no longer Gentiles. And so, uh, Israel is an unbelief, just like Gentile nations are unbelief. And there's only one group of people today who are in belief, and those are people who have received the Lord Jesus Christ by grace through faith and therefore have received the ministry of the Word of God and have received the Word of the Kingdom of the Heavens. And that's what Matthew 13 is about. So when we read Matthew 13... We don't want to read it as if this is the gospel going out to different people, and it's a different way people receive the gospel. We want to read it for what it says. So let's read it, see what it says, and we'll look at the parable of the sower in the same day when Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. This, when, when you read in the Bible such phrases as, Jesus went out of the house, and sat by the seaside. This is the dramatic action of the Lord Jesus Christ as recorded in the Bible. Remember that every word of God is pure and that the Bible is the inspired word of Scripture. And God has put all things that pertain to life and godliness in a written form uh, to us in a book that, well, I don't know how, pa- how many pages your Bible is, but it's about a thousand pages uh, or less. And so, that is very few words when you consider that the entire Word of God can be read so easily and it is in so few words. So when a few of those words are dedicated to the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ or, or to any movement, every every word should be, should be carefully considered. When his actions are recorded, that same day he went out of the house and sat by the seaside, we should meditate about that. And what do we find out? Well, that that dramatic action of the Lord recorded here of the nations or of the Gentiles. So here he goes out of the house and sat by the seaside, and he's going to give a few seaside parables. Then he's going to leave the seaside, go back into the house, and he's going to give some household parables. So we want to look at seaside parables. We want to look at household parables. And we want to look at the first of these series of seven or eight parables, depends on how you want to consider that eighth one, if you want to consider that a parable. And we'll look at it also. But he gives a series of these seven parables, all of which lay out for us the kingdom of the heavens. Well, I won't comment on it when I can just read what the Lord says, because he says so much of what I might otherwise just comment about. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So he's out on the sea, uh, speaking to the multitude, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, I was mentioning dramatic action. Understand that when the Lord goes out to the sea to speak to the land, there you see a foreshadowing of the fact that the Lord is going to take the word of God out to the Gentiles. They will believe on him. This is something I have done, and now here I am on the radio, and my Jewish friend, and I know there's some of you listening, I realize it aggravates you that the Lord Jesus Christ is a Jew, that the Word of God was written all by Jews, and that it probably is a little bit aggravating to hear some former Gentile on the radio teaching God's Word and and, and making sense, by the way. But it's supposed to aggravate you. It's supposed to provoke you. That's supposed to bother you because, in a way, this should never have happened. I, I should not be bringing the Word of God to you, you should be bringing the word of God to me, but Israel didn't do that, and so God has now Gentiles here and there that he'll give the word of God to to provoke you to jealousy so you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we can be friends. Okay, just say that. Now, gathered. "...he went into his ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying," and here's the first parable, "...behold, a sower went forth to sow." And when he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no depthness of earth, and when the sun was up they were scorched, and because they had no root they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some 30-fold, who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of the heavens, literally, but to them it is not given. For whosoever has, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away even that which he has." Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which said, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them but blessed my friend are your ears for they see and your ears for they hear we've read through the parable and we saw the four different uh seeds the the four different condition that the seeds fell in And now we're going to, before we interpret the parable, and this is one thing about parables, by the way, oftentimes the interpretation of the parable is given, and so we don't really need to interpret it except to understand the interpretation given. This is one of those parables that's so often misinterpreted, Uh, and yet, beginning with the verse 18 of Matthew chapter 13, the Lord does interpret the parable, so how about if I just Read his interpretation, and then you can say that's my interpretation if you want to, but it actually is his. Hear ye therefore, the parable of the sower when any one hears the word of the kingdom, and that's the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catches away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which was sown by the wayside. Now, if you're reading a King James version and you and you Realize that it read, this is he, and you know I read to King James uh, as well like the Apostle Paul did. Just kidding, just kidding. But where it says, this is he which receives seed by the wayside, uh, you'll realize I changed those words because it's better written, uh, the, this is the one which was sown by the wayside. But he that was sown into stony places, the same as he that receives the word, and anon with joy receives it. And yet he has not rooted himself, but endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received or that was sown among the thorns is he that hears the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he that was sown into the good, into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold some sixty some thirty now, in order for us to understand the rest of these parables that the Lord's going to teach in Matthew thirteen, we certainly do have to get the first one right and the the main way of getting the first one right seed is sown into people that that's not what the, what it says here it says different ones. Are sown into different ground, and uh the ground is the condition of life of the one the the ground is the events of the one and uh so let's just let's just go through the four of them and and of course, the controversial part here oftentimes is who are these that are sown well we'll find out we'll find out as we go through the parables that the sower is the son of man. And that the seed, that that he only sows good seed, and the seed are his children, or his people. So the Lord sows us into the world. This is what, this is what, this is the sower and the seed. And so the seed is good. This is all good seed. Bad seed here. There's no problem with the seed here. What happens are the circumstances in which the seed finds itself. And uh, so, friend, well, let me put it this way: This is four kinds of believer, and this parable is not about receiving Christ as your Savior. This is about the kingdom of the heavens, and hopefully, we've given enough uh, background here to understand that that the kingdom of the heavens is the way that is. It has to do with the way that we operate in our Christian life the way that we operate in our Christian life we have the gift of God which is eternal life and now we run the race that is set before us we fight the fight that is set before us uh it's a spiritual war in heavenly places and that has to do with the with our with our fight not against flesh and blood, but against wicked spirits in heavenly places. And so the Lord begins to show the kingdom of the heavens in the form that it is in today, mystery form. It is not in a visible form. The kingdom of the heavens is not being established on earth today. It is being established among believers in the heavenlies as they qualify to rule or reign with Christ in a future day. And so here are four different kinds of believers and the way that they respond to this great challenge which is set before every single one of us. And the first, the first one sown here is said to be sown by the wayside. We might say this is the wayside Christian, men who don't really know the Lord Jesus Christ very well or perhaps don't know him at all. And they'll say, when I go out and I look in the sky and I see the little birdies and I see the trees, I see God. No, you don't see God. You see trees and birdies. Uh, Trees and birdies are fine. But let me tell you, the the little birdies that are in my fruit trees are a pain. I have a couple of apple trees and a pear tree. And those little birdies are the nastiest things. They destroy my fruit. And uh, these little birdies here... uh, uh, eat up the seed that's sown on the wayside and those little birdies will eat up your grass seed as well and those little birdies gave Abram a whole lot of trouble and he rose out of sleep and chased those little birdies away so sweet as you I know my wife likes the little birdies and uh, but they're a pain and in this particular uh, parable these little birds uh, represent the fi- the, uh, the files of the air satanic influence and uh Look, here's what the Lord says. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one. Well, we know who that is, the evil one, the evil one, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. And so this work of the little birdies, the uh, fowls of the air, uh, this is the work of Satan. In the par- Remember the parable, parables, by the way, let me let me talk a little bit about the word parable because we throw it around. Ha, <laughs> it's a little joke. Uh, a parable comes from a compound word, to hurl, bolo, to hurl, or to, uh, and para, alongside, or to throw alongside, or to cast alongside. What a parable is is something cast alongside something else. What it is, we cast something we know about alongside something we don't know about. So, for example, maybe you'd like to know, Uh, is it a first down or isn't it a first down? Did they get the 10 yards or didn't they? Well, we know they moved the ball from here to there, but we don't know exactly how far that is. But we do know that that chain along the sideline is exactly 10 yards long, except maybe in Texas. I think in Texas the chain that they use for you is 11 yards long and the ones that they use for themselves is like 9 yards long. But in any case – We know that the chain, and certainly in Lincoln, Nebraska, the chain is 10 yards long, so we know exactly how long the chain is. So we take the thing that we know about and we cast it alongside the thing we don't know about, and we find out exactly how uh, short or long it is. Uh, It's like a yardstick. We, uh, same thing, we take the thing we know about, we lay it against the thing we don't know about, and we transfer the truth from the thing we know about to the thing we don't know about. In these parables, what do we not know about? We don't know about the state of the kingdom of the heavens. What do we know about? Well, at least these people, agrarians, and we, of course, here in Nebraska, we think we're agrarian people. Uh, we're not. Um, but uh, we take the thing that we know about, which is birds and seeds, and we lay it alongside the thing we don't know about, which is the kingdom of the heavens, and we learn from it. And what we learn about in sowing seeds is that the sower sows, and he doesn't sow sparingly, the sower sows generously. We go a long ways, and so I don't, I don't sow abundantly. And this, I had a problem with my lawn, I didn't sow abundantly, I just followed the directions. The directions are written for the time that you buy the seed is not written for the time that you apply the seed. You read those directions when you buy and you say, oh, this is a good deal. But when you actually go to sow it, go ahead and be very generous and sow a lot of seeds down because some of them are not going to land where they should. They're not going to land on the good soil. They're going to land on stones and rocks and sidewalks. And when they do that, the birds of the air come and eat them. The birds of the air here, Satan. And this is what happens with the word of the kingdom. I remember one time, uh, this story, is uh, I tell it often because it was so stunning. I stood with a man for about an hour and talked to him about this very parable. And I said, here's the problem. The problem is you lay this truth out, and you say you understand it, right? Yes, I do. I understand it. Okay, the problem comes in now. You're going to leave here, and if you don't take heed to it, if you're not careful, the wicked one will come by and steal what it was I just told you, and you won't, it'll, he'll steal it right out of your thoughts. Because that can happen. That can happen. A couple of years later, I heard a story that this man went and talked to, uh, actually talked to one of my relatives. And he made a lot of sense, and he was talking out of a scripture, and I remember it made a lot of sense to me, and it really I knew that it was right, but I can't remember what it was he talked about. Well, birds of the air. The wicked one comes and steals your understanding away. This happens. I'm a preacher. I get into, I stand in the pulpit often. Okay, this, this is this is not exactly a pulpit here. If you saw this, you, you, you knew I was joking when I talked about it being a pulpit. Of course, I guess pulpits maybe are too comfortable. But in any case, you see a lot of things when you've preached the Bible from a pulpit. You see a congregation, and you'll see them nodding their head in agreement, and they get it, they get it, they get it and five minutes after you're done, or maybe before you're done, just in that time where they're waking up when you're finishing, uh, you see that they've lost all of what you've said, even the thing that was important to them. It happens a lot. It happens all the time. This is the enemy's device. This is part of the spiritual warfare. I tell people, lack of concentration, it's a spiritual problem. Take it down into the first stomach, and then bring it back up and meditate on it for it to go into your system effectively so much bible teaching is ineffective because it is not well understood because the birds because the devil comes and destroys the understanding of the believer and that's your fault by the way all of these things are stated to us because our responsibility as Christians is to make sure that this doesn't happen. You are the one responsible for whether you understand the Word of God or not. It is not a problem with a lack of facility. Every child of God receives a new nature that is responsive to the Scripture and well able to understand it. That is why 1 John says you don't need anyone to teach you because you are able to understand the Bible. I don't know if you're able to understand the calculus. Uh, I don't know if you're able to understand algebra. I don't know if you're able to understand, but if you're a child of God, you are able to understand the Word of God, and that when that understanding is taken from you, it is because the devil carries away your thoughts and takes that which is sown into you from the Word of God before you can understand it and make it your own. That is the first problem. But it's not the only problem. So there you have wayside Christians. And so many of us live our whole lives, nearly, on the wayside, where we just fail to take the time and the spiritual effort and invest the spiritual energy to understand the preaching of God's Word. But that's not all. Secondly, besides the wayside Christian, we have those who live in stony place. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no depths of earth, because they had no root and withered away. And the Lord says about this one, that the one who was sown into stony places, or who lives there, the same as he that hears the word, and anon with joy receives it. And boy, I hear this a lot of times. I'll, uh, I'll teach the Word of God as a preacher. You'll hear this sometimes. Oh, that was a wonderful message. You know, that, that, that scares me a little bit. Uh, I'm glad to see people with joy receiving the Word of God. We ought to receive the, the, the Word of God with joy. But so often we receive the Word of God with joy, And then we find out that what comes with it is persecution. So it says, The same is he that hears the word, and anon with joy receives it, yet he has not rooted himself, but endures for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is stumbled or offended. Now, we can find out from the book of Hebrews uh, and that the Hebrews are warned, don't you remember that after illumination came to you, there was a great fight of afflictions. That's what happens when truth comes to you. Uh, there can be a great spiritual war around it. Whether your understanding is destroyed, or if your understanding is engaged, that truth will be tested. God will see to it. Like a good, like a good uh, teacher, uh, the Lord not only gives classroom work, but also gives laboratory work to see if you have really learned the lesson. I remember chemistry class in college, and that and let me tell you, just to remember chemistry class, just to remember the fact that I took chemistry in college, is. In my opinion, I should get a C-plus just for remembering that I took it. But I remember a uh, chemistry class in, in college, I would take notes, and everything seemed to make a lot of sense. And I thought, well, that's fine. I get it. This is the way it works because you would emulate on paper the way it worked. And then you'd have to do your lab experiment, and then that would mean you'd have to get something to precipitate. And uh, my lab experiments hardly ever came out. You, you found out you didn't really know it very well. In the Christian life, the lab experiment to prove whether you understand something is whether you can endure when persecution because of the Word arises. And persecution because of the Word will arise. Where will it, will, will it arise? Possibly where you least expect it. But it can it can arise right where you do expect it as well. It'll arise in your family, it'll arise from your friends, It'll arise from people you're trying to impress, the world will hate you, Uh, they hated him, the servants not above his master. The mere uh, understanding of the Word of God will bring some measure, by and by, or eventually this same one is offended. Now, my own experience, when I see the persecution come, if it comes from a girlfriend or a wife, that's the easiest way for a guy to get offended. Pretty much if his wife doesn't like his newfound understanding of the Bible or his girlfriend, that really will take a man out. And I've seen a lot of men walk away from the faith because they're scared of their wives and the persecution that comes from them or their girlfriends. Actually, I think men are even more scared of their girlfriends than their wives, but it's a close call. Many, many, I've seen many wander from the persecution that comes from a wife or girlfriend. Uh family, friends, work, or boy, let it cost them money, let them have to lose some money or lose a job promotion or be laughed at at work or mocked by their by their friends at work where where you think you're going to lose some money and offense uh instantly that one's gone and you hardly ever see him again. That is to say this one overcomes the first problem, but his understanding is engaged but he can't last. He has no staying power. She has no staying power. Because of and why? Because of tribulation or persecution that arises because of the word. Sooner or later, by and by it says, a little time passes, he endures for a little while, but it's temporary. That one doesn't doesn't last. And doesn't bring forth fruit. Is is offended, is stumbled off before fruit bearing takes place. Well what about the third kind of that so now we've seen the one that we've seen Wayside Christian, we've seen Stony Place Christian. What about now this one? Here's the one this is this is now a, a vast number uh that I've seen in my life and a vast number and and, and it could still be me. It could yet be me. But um, here is this one. Some fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them. And now we see uh, not very much said there. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns choked them. Well, what does that mean? That means that the thorns took the nourishment. That means to say that instead of being nourished for fruitfulness, thorns come along and drew away the resources that would have otherwise, in a differently disposed plant, turned into fruit. Think about that. This is the one. Here's what the Lord says about it. He also that was sown among the thorns is he that hears the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world, and he becomes unfruitful. So this now is someone who is either looking like he's going to be fruitful or is fruitful. But one of two things rise up. The care of this world, and the dece- or both things rise up. The care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches rise up and choke out the word from this person, the Christian of thorny place, the thorny place Christian, where the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of riches, or the cares of this world, the cares of this world, how many cares are of this world are they let me count the ways uh, instead of counting sheep you can count your cares of this world my they are so many one one brother put it this way the cares of this world are for the poor guy the deceitfulness of riches are for the rich guy poor man rich man they all have their good reasons but do we really find that this is about of course this parable is not about being saved this parable is not about getting the gift of god this you don't have to you do not have to endure to receive the gift of god you can receive the gift of god right now by believing the lord jesus christ you must endure to be rewarded if we endure with him we'll reign with him if we don't we won't and never let anybody kid you about that but here's the issue will you be fruitful do you know that if you'll just if you'll just avoid these few pitfalls, there's three of them, waysidedness, stony placidness, and the thorny place. You will be fruitful. Lord Jesus Christ, John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you, imbi- if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. My Father is the vine dresser. The unfruitful one, he'll lift up and put in a place to be fruitful. The fruitful one, he'll cleanse—that's the word, purge—so that he'll be more fruitful. The God, the Father, undertakes in our behalf to make us fruitful. The Lord Jesus Christ is the vine, the true one. If we'll abide in Him, which means if we'll abide in His Word, we will be fruitful. What are the what are the obstacles to being unfruitful? They're threefold. You don't understand the Word of God because the devil has his way with your mind. Secondly, you chicken out in the Christian life. You get scared. God didn't give you the spirit of fear when persecution arises because of the Word. Let's face it, we chicken out. That's what we do. Admit it and stop it. Third thing, now, thorns, the cares of this world. What will I eat? What will I put on? What am I going to do for my retirement? God wants us to be practical. Let me tell you what's practical. What's practical is believing the Word of God. Give no thought for tomorrow. Today has enough evil. Do you think your 401k is what keeps you alive? Do you think that your retirement plan is 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 God's plan? What does it mean to be retired? Have you ever questioned the world's Uh, uh, impositions upon you, or do you accept them passively so that you can have the cares of this world? Or are you deceived by the riches that you have, the ersatz riches, the fake riches, which God is using to test you to see if he can commit to you the true ones, which is his word? Let me tell you, we buy these assumptions so quickly. I hear Christians tell me, well, I have to send all my kids to college. Why is that? So that some professor can uh, uh, mislead them so that uh, your daughters can be in the university where they can be solicited by, uh, by wicked men and wicked women? Uh, why do you have to send all of your children to the university? What makes you think that uh, you need to have uh, retirement for 15 years, that all your income needs need to be met so you can sit around and what? Afford to take drugs that'll turn your mind into some kind of mush? We don't, even, we don't even question the assumptions that the world puts on us. We, we need our minds fetch. It's part of our old nature. Our minds go to fetch the cares of this world. I've got to be worrying about something. If I'm not worrying, I'm not trying. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Friends, we are so deceived by the false riches of this world, which Satan can control. He can control them and deceive us with them. This is your responsibility other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit some a hundredfold some sixty and some thirtyfold who hath ears to hear let him hear what did the lord say about this one he that was sown into the good ground is he that hears the word and understand it understands it which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty friend you're hearing the word of god some thirtyfold some sixtyfold some even a hundredfold. My friend, the Lord gives us this parable not so that we'll fail, but so that we'll succeed. We're going to look at the next parable tomorrow. May God bless you until then.